0: This is the Tame Aperture Podcast. Open the pod bay doors, please, Hal. Hell. Hello, Hel, do you read me? Do you read me, Do you read me?
1: Affirmative, Dave. I read you. I read you. I read you. Open the pod bay doors, Hel. Come on down and jump into this shit. Sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that.
0: Welcome to the Tame Aperture Podcast, where we talk all things movies from first-time directors, indies, art house, and much, much more. On this episode, we continue our journey into the mind of Mr. Kubrick and dive into his 1956 heist film, The Killing, starring Sterling Hayden, Colleen Gray, and Vincent Edwards. Career criminal Johnny Clay recruits a sharpshooter, a crooked police officer, a bartender, and a horse betting teller named George to pull off one last job. But when George tells his restless wife, Sherry, about their job to steal millions from the racetrack where he works, she hatches a plan of her own. The film debuted in May of 1956 to a lackluster audience and runs just shy of 85 minutes and is filmed entirely in black and white. I'm Gabe Bienendahl, filmmaker, film instructor, and movie enthusiast, and I'm joined by none other than Alan Martindale, veteran podcaster and editor. Alan, how the hell are you?
1: I'm doing good. We're going back in time for this one.
0: Going, it's almost 1955. It almost Crazy. is literally back in time, back to the future yeah. era.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um,
0: pretty damn close in terms of the year. This came out in '56. Marty goes back to '55, so <laughs> yeah, he
1: wouldn't have seen this.
0: <laughs> he, he he wouldn't have seen this. This this would have been uh, in production most likely. Yep.
1: Yep. Kubrick was making a lot of these, a lot of movies back in the day. And then I, you probably, you're, you're more of a Kubrick guy than me. He, he really like kind of slowed down later on in his career. And I don't know why.
0: Yeah. He starts out. Cause so, so uh the killing, I think is his third feature film and he had done some short documentaries before that. But I think that's his, this is his third feature film, but from like 50 from like fear and desire, so that's fifty three to to what seventy five. He's yeah. doing one every every he's doing you know every three or four it, two or three years. Then he slows down, and there's like massive spans of five, six, seven years in between films.
1: Yeah, uh, and then between Full Metal Jacket and Eyes Wide Shut, that's twelve years.
0: Yeah, that one in particular is an interesting. Uh, that'd be an interesting exploration because I, I want to know between 87 and 99 what he was doing. I know he was working on artificial intelligence, which Spielberg ended up taking over after he passed, but that's a pretty, I mean, even from 80 to 87, from the shining to full metal jacket, it, seven years
1: it's a long time,
0: that's, and so yeah, that's an it is a long time. I mean,
1: do you think? I mean, you've seen all of his films,
0: right? Except for Killer's Kiss. Okay. Which I think is another film noir from the 50s. I have not seen Killer's Kiss.
1: So I have, I've seen a handful. I haven't seen most of them. Uh, would you say, as someone who's familiar with his filmography, that the, the films got better later on as, as he went through his career?
0: undoubtedly i think naturally i think you would agree with this and let me know what you think but i think any film and we've explored this as part of the podcast which is filmmakers naturally or you would hope get better as they grow and get more experience right i mean we we always default to who's that knocking at my door with scorsese you know that was a shit film and you absolutely loved it, but I was like, "Oh, I can't stand it."
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's just my favorite <laughs> film ever made.
0: It's, top it's probably five. in your top five, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure.
1: God.
0: no, so you funny. hated it, but i but I mean, do you know what I mean? Like to answer the question, I think he has to get better. But then on top of that, he's already at a certain level in my mind. And so in other words, what I mean is like he's coming out the gate. Fear and desire is actually a really good film. and it's put together. It's a little it's a little basic and rudimentary and, and you would expect that, right? But it's still got like it, it's still got it. Like it, it, you watch it and you don't say, oh, that's not uh, a movie. Whereas who's that knocking on my door? We were kind of like, what is this? What is happening in this hodgepodge of storytelling? (laughs) Uh, So, so I guess what I'm getting at is like from fear and desire uh, it's good. I haven't seen killer's kiss. And then we step into this film, which is the killing. And I think this is a great, this is a great movie, particularly. I mean, I have to, I take it in context. Everyone that would watch this might go, well, it's kind of slow or there's, it, there's the pacing of it's a little bit uh, you know, diluted or like it, it could it could probably be sped up. But I think if I look at the movie in context of the era, uh it's really good. It's what it's put together really well. So then you go from the killing to paths of glory. That stars Kurt Douglas, right? Mm-hmm. And then Kurt Douglas gets him the gig to do Spartacus. Right. Which I'm not I'm not a huge fan of Spartacus.
1: It's been um, a very long time since I've seen it. I remember I mean, so long, probably junior high. So I, I probably shouldn't even comment on it.
0: It's, it's, uh, look, it, it's, it's a 1960s epic, you know, uh, and it, and it stars Kurt Douglas, who's the biggest movie star in the world at that time. You would think, undoubtedly, that Kubrick is at the highest peak of his filmmaking when you get, you know, what I mean. That's his prime, so to speak. But um, definitely learned a lot because I think as you continue to go down the list, like Lolita, Strange Love, which we'll talk about in another podcast, which I absolutely love. 2001, I think sits in its own world, like figuratively and literally in its own. It's like, I think that is the epitome of filmmaking. I know a lot of people... Feel that same way. Also, I also know a lot of people are like, eh, or whatever." You're just jumping on the bandwagon. But if you watch that film once again in context of the era that it was made, it it's pri- it's timeless, for sure. Like you can you can watch it now, and you're like, "How did they achieve such cinematic greatness fifty plus right. years ago?" Right. Uh, and then Clockwork Orange, which we'll also cover, uh, which happens to be in my top three. Uh, it's, it might even take that number one spot and we'll get into that in another podcast. Barry Lyndon's good. The Shining, as, as we've we've done in this podcast in the past, is great. Full Metal Jacket, we did last podcast, which I think, and you mentioned this early in the last podcast, which is that first 20 minutes of Full Metal Jacket is a masterclass in cinema.
1: It really is. It I mean, just from the second, that first, I mean, we, we, we talked about it in the podcast, but that tracking shot, I don't even know if it's a tracking shot, it might just be a little montage of them getting their, their, their haircut from that until the end of basic training is absolutely fantastic. Yes. Throughout.
0: And, and then you get into eyes wide shut, which also is in my top three. So to answer the long, as longest winded answer in the history of any question you've ever (laughs) asked, I just went through this whole portfolio and then I was like, Oh yeah. And then I get to the last one. Uh, but, but I would say yes. Like undoubtedly it gets better because eyes wide shut. I hate to put a rating on it immediately, but it's in the top three for sure.
1: Yeah. Well, and the reason why I ask is because I wonder if he was more concerned towards the end of, of just creating great film, great cinema rather than early on in your career. You might just want to work. And so I wonder if that's, that was part of the, uh, I don't want to say plan, but maybe that was his thinking of taking a, uh, Quite a long long time between projects. Very interesting.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I'm sure there's plenty of documentaries out there that cover some of this, but I think that's a pretty good fair assessment, which is, I think once you get to a point where you're just interested in choosing things that you want to do, and you're not so much pushing the agenda for somebody else because they're giving you money to make a movie. Right, right. (laughs) Because the tables turn. I mean, if you like these movies, including The Killing, I mean, that's for hire director a movie, I think. For sure. And,
1: and you're um. not going to get in that kind of job in that kind of gig, you're not going to get uh, his trademark intricacies and his trademark deliberate uh, uh, placement of everything. I mean, it's everything he does later on is so deliberate and intentional and making People do 10, 12, 15 takes, you know, like you can't do that when you're on uh, a movie that's not really yours, that you're just you're you're a hired gun, you know, so you really can't do that. And later on, he really I mean, just think about how many times he went over uh, the time frame, you know, like that's kind of what he did because he's so deliberate in everything he does. And and that might also, you know, uh, be a, a big reason why he waited so long between films later on.
0: And he still has a little bit of his own creative control and things. I think where it really comes down to it is once he, and we talked about this briefly with Full Metal Jacket, but once he comes to Spartacus and has that experience with the big Hollywood studio and the big celebrities, I think that changes for him. Cause from then on, these become films that are in a lot of ways, highly personal and all under his creative control. Cause from Lolita to Eyes Wide Shut he has the last word.
1: Oh, definitely, and you can tell it feels it feels different.
0: Yeah, and so I wanted to do the Killing, and I wanted to uh, eventually do Doctor Strangelove because I think that uh, I, you know, Doctor Strangelove a lot of people know about or have seen. I don't know that a lot of people really have seen or watched the Killing, and I really think it's a good movie. So I wanted to, to talk about it and kind of break it down uh have you seen the killing up before we we started this
1: i had not even heard of it i had no idea again i'm not super familiar with with his filmography but i had never even heard of it i didn't know what to expect coming in i didn't watch any trailer i i didn't read up about it i wanted to go in fresh
0: so we'll kind of just we'll do it a little different because Uh, In in a sense of instead of walking through kind of every scene, I just kind of go through a basic plot and idea of what's happening Uh, a little bit more elongated than what we read in the intro. But, you know, you basically have uh, uh, it's this is a heist film, right? This is a heist film um, that that kind of follows one primary character as he goes about kind of uh, cooperating with a bunch of other people to help him do one last job or kind of do one last heist. Um, This is a veteran criminal um, that he's, it it sounds as though he's trying to step away from that life. And this is his last big thing before he does. So he's ready to step away and quote unquote, start a normal, a normal life away from crime. Um, So So what they end up doing is uh, deciding to to rob or uh, a racetrack, do they and, specifically
1: uh, say in the film that this is his last his last hurrah?
0: well, he he's I can't remember if they specifically say it, but he does have a conversation with his, I guess girlfriend or fiance, I think mm-hmm. and and they have a conversation about him uh, about settling down.
1: See, and here's here's my my thing is I don't know how honest any of these people are. There's a moment there between Johnny and uh, the older guy, I can't remember his name, that, was, that felt genuine. And it felt like a genuine moment and that they had a, a good relationship between them. Other than that, though, I'm kind of questioning everyone's loyalties and where everyone stands. Obviously, at the end of the movie, and we'll get to this, is uh, sneaking away with his girlfriend or his fiance. Yeah. Um But I'm not so sure he's, he's done. It just, I, I don't know. The way he operates... And the way everything he just got everything planned out and he knows what he's doing. I don't know, man. I just don't know if it's his last
0: hurrah. Yeah, it may not be, but I think it's, there's, there's there. It seemed to me there was some subtext there that this is it. And the, the reason being is he, he, he says he wants to marry his girl, his fiance. Right. So he's it, in some way or another, to me, it just felt like maybe that's how he decides to step away from this life of criminality. Um, but and as we get into the end of the movie, you'll see kind of I, I also think that kind of he, he identifies at the end a little bit more of his uh, uh, his mindset towards that when uh, everything kind of goes awry. And we'll get into that. Right. But he assembles this team of uh, halfway crooks <laughs> um, and basically decides to, to rob a racetrack. I guess this is a lucrative criminal activity or could be right. I'm I've, I've been to a racetrack once, but I would imagine that there's gotta be a pretty, pretty hefty sum of money somewhere in that facility. Yeah.
1: There's a lot of money changing hands for sure. I, I've been to one too. And it's, I mean, that's why you go. That's the only reason you go is to bet. Right. No one's going to go watch right. horses race for no reason. So yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of money being changed hands. Um, and actually, their scheme is is pretty it's pretty good um there's There's a couple things there that I'm not sure I understand why they're doing it, but uh, it makes the movie way more interesting.
0: What things stood out that didn't make as much sense to you in terms of the scheme to put it all together?
1: I don't get the point of shooting the horse.: Yeah. I, I I don't know how that plays into it because it really doesn't have any effect on anything.
0: So he has uh, the corrupt cop, which which comes into play later. The idea being that a cop can hide under large under the umbrella of being a police officer, and that's kind of the getaway of the bag, right? right. Isn't that the idea behind that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, then, and then he had. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I'll just get just go through them. Then he's got. The 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 window teller, the guy that's at the horse track that can get him into uh, at the end, can get him into the area where there's going to be the money. He's the inside man.
1: And that's George,
0: right? And that's George. And
1: he's just a really kind of short, kind of pathetic guy. Yes. In every sense of the word,
0: in in many, in many ways, as we come to find out, Kubrick definitely paints him as a vulnerable uh, sissy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I mean, but you feel you for ha- him. You you totally feel for him. Yeah, there's a lot of sympathy there, for sure. I think. Yeah, every I, I mean every
1: moment he's with his wife is is it just makes you cringe because it's I just feel so sad. Like it's just so bad being in that situation.
0: Well, she's a shrew.
1: Yeah, she's awful.
0: I mean, just nobody even in today's age, 60 years later, no one wants to be with a person no. like that.
1: And she plays him like a fiddle, man. He is. Oh, yeah. I, I just can't understand why he would have ever fallen in love with her because I can't I can't imagine there was ever a time when she was a good person.
0: Yeah, she never comes across as having somebody or being someone who's got a level of empathy or sympathy towards human beings. She just kind of feels like always she's in it to win it for herself. That's yes, it. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, but I think I understand why he, I mean, as a, as a guy, there's, of course, he's got a physical attraction to her, but here's the other thing. He's weak. He has no, I mean, he's unfortunately has a little to no self-esteem. So when somebody shows a level of interest, I think that's where he kind of, uh, attached himself at the hip. Yep. Right. Easy
1: to manipulate.
0: Yes. Um, we then have, uh, so we have George, who's the backroom inside man at the racetrack. Um, we have a, the bartender at the track as well. Um, which I guess he's just there to be part of the the scheme to, uh, as a distraction for the fight, they want to have a, is that, is that, I, I was I, I don't the bartender. Know.
1: I don't know. Like I don't, I,
0: I that I, was I my thought. I, I, I think that's what it is. Um,
1: but what did he do? He ran like, unless I'm forgetting something, once the fight broke out, he, he took off. Right. Like he snuck away.
0: Yeah. But I think he was the, he was one of them who was kind of instigating it. Right. Uh, or having the one guy that he hired right. as a, as an actor. Right. So, so, so Johnny has these inside people with the guy at the racetrack the bartender, the corrupt cop. Um, he has a, a financier, somebody who's given them money up front to hire out two other day players, so to speak. Mm-hmm. People who will come in and do quick jobs and be done, but don't get a cut of the the deal once it's uh, finished, right? And so he's got those. Those are the guys. Johnny, the financier, the teller, the bartender, and the corrupt cop. Then he has the two hire outs. One hire out is a shooter. The shooter is to take out one of the horses along uh, to take out one of the horses. The other one is the decoy at the bar to start a fight and distract to get the uh, track police distracted so that the uh, teller can let Johnny inside uh, in behind the scenes. And that was was a
1: hilarious scene, by the way, that fight was, was made
0: me laugh hilarious as in stupid or you actually enjoyed it
1: i actually enjoyed it i I, and yeah. I think maybe because it was kind of stupid but i just it was just funny he gets his shirt ripped off and he's just flipping guys over his shoulder and he's doing the wrestling moves and you know he's got the guy on his shoulder and spinning him around before he throws him. it's it was enjoyable i liked it
0: the wrestlers that character actually he's pretty fun the wrestler's pretty funny
1: yeah i liked him and and the shooter Am I crazy, or does he look exactly like John Turturro?
0: Oh, he's definitely got a little John Turturro dead now.
1: ringer. I thought. Uh, I don't I, know why he talked with his <laughs> teeth clenched the entire time, though. That kind of bugged me.
0: He's got a little Turturro. Um His character, you know, like an, as an actor, I thought was very. Peculiar. I, I didn't understand. Right, right. <laughs> what he was trying to do. I mean, he was he was he was, a, he, it was a weird. He went to a farm and like <laughs> I don't know. It was very it was a very strange character. You know what I mean? Like to to develop. It's like just hire the guy who's a sharpshooter. And this this guy played it very 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 off. Yeah. Not I, that it was bad. It wasn't bad acting. It just was like an off approach to to the role. It. It took you out of the movie,
1: you know, and not in ways that, like there are other parts of this movie that kind of took me out of it. But it, was, it was, it's only because it's a product of its time, you know, like it's some of the, the lingo, like put your mitts up and and, you know, some of the, the old timey slang, you know, it kind of took me out of it. But that's just because it, it it's a product of its time. But he took me out of it just because it was weird. He was just weird. It was strange.
0: That's exactly what what I'm trying to say is that it it was very eccentric for almost no reason. I wasn't sure what for. I mean, this character ends up dying, so uh, maybe we we needed to hate him. I don't know. and have vindication in his death. I have no idea. It was a weird character. I mean, he's got a very uh, straightforward plot point as a character, which is – Supposedly he's supposed to take out a horse on the track for a distraction. I wasn't sure how that worked into the scheme entirely or why the horse being shot, unless it was simply for uh, redirecting authorities to be focused on that versus what's happening at the racetrack behind the scenes. I don't know.
1: But wasn't that the point of the fight?
0: Yeah, the fight was a distraction to get him into the room where the money's held. I think I—I I guess what I'm saying is, and i i could be pulling here. I could be stretching mm-hmm. it. It's a bigger picture distraction, right? Horse gets shot. Everybody's focused on that. Um, and and I, it,
1: I think that's the thinking. But here's here's the thing. Here's where I have a problem with it. I don't know if you heard if you were paying attention to uh, the guy on the loudspeaker who's calling the races Uh, after the horse is shot. He, he says, Oh, red, whatever, what was the guy, whatever the horse's name, red racer is red lightning, red lightning, red lightning is down, but then he continues calling the race. So it didn't really cause a panic because the horse went down and then they finished the race. And not only that, but afterwards he says, don't forget to hold on to your tickets until the race is officially called, you know, like, he he's going about his business as normal. To me, it couldn't have been that much of a commotion if they finished the race. They're still telling people to bring their tickets to the window. Like it just didn't. I don't. It didn't work. I think you could have cut that whole plot point out of the movie and not missed a beat.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm not even sure on if it how it ties in or or how well constructed it is in terms of uh, logical sense, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh it, it it you know, I this is one thing about the movie, which which I don't want to actually downgrade it in the sense that I mean I actually enjoyed the movie. There's one thing as you're watching it and you can kind of we always say this word, but you want to be engaged in the film. And like mostly I was engaged. Um I was interested. There's a there's a few parts like you kind of get lost and it gets a little slow. I mean, they show the races and the announcer and the horses turning the track, like three different times for like one or two minutes each, which is completely unnecessary. But I also think at this point he's kind of pulling to, to to it, 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 there is a little bit of a pull there to make it long enough.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Cause it it is what, right about an hour and a half.
0: It's less, it's 84 minutes. Okay. So it's less. So yeah,
1: they they needed every second they could get.
0: Every every minute, I think at some point past seventy five yeah. minutes, you're starting to go. Am I am I going to be able to distribute right. this thing?
1: Right. Well, even when during the robbery, which is you know arguably arguably supposed to be the most exciting part of the film, they take the time to show the guy who's emptying the safe empty every single. It takes like two minutes every single uh stack of cash at, and it's the, the safe is just jammed full of cash. Yeah. And they show him and like remove it from the safe and put it in the bag every single stack which takes forever. So I think they're definitely milking milking the time.
0: Yeah, I think they're just trying to 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 make it a feature, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um a couple of questions. Here's a couple of questions I have for you. Okay. Yeah. We're gonna start out with some questions. I think we've covered the the essence of what the plot is. There's there's nothing overly confusing going on here. There's a there is a fun array ensemble of characters, and each person's a little different. We kind of discussed that George and his is kind of uh uh kind of falls under his wife's. Uh, he basically gets emotionally and verbally beat down by his wife.
1: Yeah, he's <laughs> he's being abused by his wife. Totally emotionally abused, hundred percent.
0: Um. So if you here's my first question for you cuz I had 3 ready. Okay. <laughs> so I we'll have a few more but we'll do 3 at least. Um if you're a psychologist, all right? Okay. And you look at the actions of a character, I'll let you choose. What do you think the the psychologist says about that character?
1: Okay. That's a very good question. I'm trying to you can run choose any
0: of them, any character
1: the oh man, the obvious one is to go with Johnny, the ringleader, the the main guy. Um, we see him do you know some some pretty some pretty bad stuff. I mean he, he beats up uh Sherry, who is George's wife and doesn't hold back, you know, and knocks her out. <laughs> he literally so to me, I mean maybe he's a sociopath. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm trying to think, did, did Johnny actually, I don't think he killed anybody.
0: Not that we're, if I remember right, this is, I don't think so. Because he gets away scot-free, essentially. Well, the at the
1: end. yeah, he he's alive at the end, for sure.
0: Well, I don't mean at the very end. I'm talking about at the racetrack. Right, right. Yeah, he does. Um and so and that's where you would assume that he would have been taking people out if he was on his, you know, like going Ben Affleck in the town and just starting to right, right. shoot out in the streets.
1: So, okay, so maybe he's not a sociopath. Okay, let's, let's, let's do Sherry. Sherry will be easier, I think. Oh, Sherry's way easy. She's a, she's a straight-up psychopath or sociopath or something. Like, she, she's got some sort of personality disorder as well. And I I'm, I'm not trying to be disparaging to anyone who suffers with mental illness, but she's got some serious problems. She is like uh she's she's mental illness turned up to 11 and spun to be a, a super villain.
0: First off, she hates her husband. Yeah, she does. Not she, even hate, she despises.
1: She she uses her dying breath to insult him.
0: Yeah, yeah. Literally. But before that, even the whole interaction where he comes home, she just tells him how worthless he is. I mean, it's it's actually laid in pretty thick, especially when you think about the era in 56. Yeah. You almost don't think it to be that harsh, that brutal, that honest.
1: And it's not only just not only is she honest, she goes out of her way to do creative insults on him you know like oh yeah it with every little thing there's no word of kindness at all unless she wants something unless she needs something from him other than that i mean it's just that's all she's doing is insulting him
0: and she does and here's where it's interesting cuz she does play a pivotal role in the story and the plot of the story because you just said it unless she needs something from him he cares so much about what she thinks of him That he divulges Johnny's plan and the five other guys that he's in it with. And keep in mind for those listening, George is the teller at the racetrack. So he divulges to his wife this entire plan to which she doesn't believe him. And then over time, and it's all about money. He starts telling her how much money he'll have after this is finished. And then she starts, it starts clicking for her. Right. And she starts going, okay. I'm, I'm. Tell me more. Tell me this plan. And he basically tells her everything. And then she goes behind his back to her lover. And comes up with an entirely another ploy to counteract the one they're doing, so they can get all the money.
1: What did you think about about her boyfriend?
0: So one, I'll answer that. But psychologically, you got to tell me. What the, So tell me, and you kind of did already, but tell me now, based on the actions of Sherry, what does the psychologist say about that character?
1: I'm, I'm going to guess. What's so- the diagnosis? I'm going to guess sociopath. That's my guess. Okay. I'm very ill-equipped to answer this question, but I, that's my guess.
0: Well, we're always ill-equipped to answer yeah. almost any question. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so here's, here's what I'm going to do, Alan. Let's go sociopath. Okay. Noun. A person with a personality disorder manifesting itself in extreme antisocial attitudes and behavior and lack of conscience.
1: And so, an antisocial doesn't mean kind of how it's used. It doesn't yep. mean, from what I understand, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. If there are any no, I think you're on the right there, track. I know it, where you're going. It, it doesn't mean like antisocial is. I don't want to see anybody. It means that your behavior is abnormal yep. when you're interacting with other human beings.
0: Once again, PhD, I'm going to step in with my PhD here that <laughs> okay, I yeah. don't have. But I, I agree with you 100%. So, yeah, I would say uh, she's diagnosed as a sociopath, right?
1: I think so. Well, what, what did you think about her? her, her um,
0: Oh, her boyfriend, her dyna- Val.
1: Yeah, her dynamic with Val.
0: So So first off, she loves
1: Val. She is George to Val. Like she's Val's George.
0: Exactly. What was so, I was trying to figure out what was so intriguing about Val. Was it that he's a handsome guy or
1: Honestly, like what,
0: what did he have that made him so appealing?
1: Total theory here. total theory. My guess is Sherry is used to getting what she wants. She's used to playing George like a fiddle and George probably isn't the first man that she has played like a fiddle and knows exactly how to work it, to get what she wants. Val is not giving her that. Val doesn't really want her. He doesn't want to be tied down, and especially not to her. So to me, she's got a little bit of case of, you want what you can't have syndrome.
0: That, that's my
1: theory. Like she, like she, If Val showed interest in her, I don't think she'd care.
0: Dr. Allen. Yeah, look at me, paging, man. Paging Dr. Allen.
1: I'm going to get my honorary doctorate right now.
0: Honorary doctorate in psychiatry for this episode. (laughs) Coming in with the switch. No, I agree wholeheartedly. I think Sherry can't uh, have what she wants. And he likes her. I mean, he doesn't not show interest in her, Mm -hmm. but not in the same way. He he almost kind of even says something in the dialogue, and I can't remember what the exact verbiage is, but it basically alludes to the fact that he's like, yeah, I'll do, I'm, I'm good. I'll do whatever I want. We're, yeah. we're, I like you. I like you. And then he kind of walks away and he does his own yeah. thing. It's
1: like, I can't be so, tied down, baby. Yeah. <laughs> he just lays it on so thick with her. And to <laughs> me, the reason why I asked because that was really satisfying to see her get treated that way after what we saw she does to George on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And all it, all it did was extend my sympathy for George even more though. Cause, cause, cause now I know that not only is she a jerk to George, but she also cheats on him. Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: and, and he even, he even sp- specifically says that he wouldn't be able to handle it if he ever caught her with another man. So we yes. know that's a push button thing for him.
0: Absolutely. That is the, the, uh, the trigger for him and the trigger will be, that is not a foreshadowing. Uh, uh, foreshadow (laughs) (laughs) um okay i got another question for you i think that was a good character breakdown let's keep on some characters here what character did you like least and what character did you like best or i can flip it and say okay what character did you hate or what character did you love and we can't choose don't choose one we've already talked about So i know that's that's
1: um and and Can I reframe it as what characters did I find most interesting and and least interesting?
0: Yeah, okay, that's fine. Um, I
1: think... I mean, I... I, You know me. I I think villains are always the most interesting characters in in films. So uh, I I did like it when Sherry was around. I, I actually liked seeing... I didn't at first. I've seen this movie twice now. The first time I saw it, I didn't really feel this way. But I liked seeing Johnny put everything together. I liked seeing him kind of do that old timey swagger. You know, you think of the old gangsters and that's kind of what you think of. And so it was cool kind of getting a glimpse into that era and getting a glimpse of, of uh, a guy kind of putting it, everything together. I, I, to me, that was fun. So I'd say, I'd say Johnny's probably the most, not the most, but one of the most interesting characters. Uh, I guess the bartender uh so who who was the guy i'm getting the bartender and then the other guy the other old guy confused
0: yeah the other old so the bartender is the guy who or sorry the other old guy is the financier
1: is that what he did okay because i had no idea
0: he's the guy that gave them 7500 cash to pay the wrestler the guy that's going to start a fight at the racetrack and then also the 5,000 to pay the sharpshooter to kill the horse. So, and so he was, he was was fronting them money.
1: Who was the person who met with the, uh, the loan shark early on? Was that the old guy? I think
0: it was. No, no. Cause you have, cause the, the, well, the old guy is, is the financier, right?
1: But I'm wondering if, is that, if are
0: you talking about the there was
1: someone right at the beginning of the movie who went to go see a loan shark, and I, I because he owed the loan shark money and he's like I don't have it now but I'm gonna have a ton of it coming up.
0: And oh re- yeah, the at the okay, I'm sorry, I, you're talking about the very start of the yeah the, the very
1: the very beginning of the film.
0: Oh, who is that's the corrupt cop?
1: Oh, is it the cop? Okay,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, the point was my point was. It's probably my, my the least interesting to me is probably either the corrupt cop or the old guy because I don't know what they were doing. Like I like I really could not even pick out their faces right now if I if I had to. So Yeah,
0: it's, the corrupt cop's not that interesting. And you would and what's what's funny if you think about a heist film at least at least more modern times like in the last few years there always seems to be a cop connection. You will you'll take a Scorsese film like The Departed. Right. And there's always a cop who becomes, I mean, that's all, that's all centered on, and it's not necessarily heist, but you know what I mean? It's all centered on the cop. So you would almost anticipate that character have a little bit more backstory, a little bit more interest.
1: Yeah, because that's a pretty big, I mean, when we're talking about cinema and pop culture, to turn a cop kind of seems like a big deal. You know, like what makes what 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 was able to get him to join this? And and he was so proud about it, too, when he was explaining it, uh, when he was explaining his part later on. He was so proud of, of the job they'd done. So, yeah, it, to me, to just kind of gloss over that is a little it's kind of a little boring. So I'd say either those two, one of those two is probably the least interesting to me.
0: And also what did and, and this is where I didn't under what did he do? He, what did the cop do? I mean, we talked about it briefly. I thought it was a, some form of open-air distraction. Oh, it's a cop, and they can throw the bag out to him. But
1: well, here's the thing I didn't understand about the cop. They threw the bag out to him. I don't know why the cop had to do it. I guess because he was a cop. But then why didn't the cop just leave and go to the safe house? Why, why did he go drop the money off at that vacant hotel room? and then go to the safe house. So then Johnny has to go to the vacant hotel room, pick up the money, and come to the safe house to pay everybody.
0: Yeah, the only thing I can think of is is just trying to create separation. Yeah, I guess. I have guess. no idea. I, I guess. You know what I mean? Plot, like, plot what points. if he was being told or fall? I mean, he's a cop, so you wouldn't anticipate it. But, mm-hmm. you know, I get, I mean, I can kind of give it away. Like, okay, they're just creating, just creating separation. Right, you know? right. But that's all he did. He didn't do anything over. Uh, Johnny schemes it all. He's the he's the brains, right? Yeah. Um, He's the leader.
1: George is is taking the most risk, probably. George
0: taking a lot of risk because he's letting Johnny behind the scenes of the racetrack. He's going to get destroyed if people find out. He's going to go to jail. Right. I think the financier is taking some risk, obviously, because he's putting up money. And you think about seventy five hundred bucks in nineteen fifty six is a good sum of cash right right and then you have the bartender which i think he becomes integral and in, at least in the sense that uh I, this is i guess not though this is where what did what did he do so
1: you know what i just realized he smuggled in the gun
0: oh that's right he had but, the, f- the flowers in there but which George, is famous now right it's like you have a right a, a rifle inside of a bouquet box Ter- of terminator flowers.
1: 2 yeah, that's what springs to mind. But
0: George could have done that.
1: George was literally in the locker room while the bartender was there. Why couldn't George have smuggled in the gun?
0: Once again, separation. Like trying to
1: keep... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but the problem is, man, the more people you have, the more likely someone is to screw up or talk.
0: I agree. I agree. I'm not a heist man, so I don't know. But... <laughs> I'm always um, plotting. But, but that's, that's right. And then he also uh instigates the fight with the wrestler because the wrestler comes over and he's like, give me more. And he's like, and they started an altercation. I will agree with you that that scene to me was hilarious because he's like a big hairy bear. He just pulls his <laughs> so shirt off. Funny. He starts just, fighting and it's wrestling. so
1: funny. And then just just Johnny standing there on the side watching it. Um it, it, Just the, whole, the way it was blocked, the way the whole crowd was in a perfect, I, I don't know, just the way it was done was hilarious to me. I thought it was great.
0: Yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. Um, here is another question for you. Um, was there anything, I think we kind of talked through it and we discovered our own answers. Um, was there anything that you did that didn't make sense to you in the movie? (laughs) I mean, I think we just talked through our two that were giving us a little trouble, but what was there anything else in whatever way that didn't make sense to you?
1: Mainly the horse getting shot. Um, and then, yeah, and just just little little plot points here and there, more than anything. Um, I I guess you had the bartender. I guess we saw his sick wife to kind of give a little sympathy for him, uh, which worked hundred percent. Like it really, it kind of tugged on your heartstrings. Like when he was saying goodbye to his wife, it's like, uh, you really, you, I mean, it really does make you root for the bad guys, because it really do, I really wanted them to be successful.
0: Yeah, I think all their motivations—at least a few of them—we talk about the bartender. That's good motivation. His wife's physically ill, very sick. They're probably in debt, etc. So they need cash, right? Mm-hmm. So that one's good. That one works. Um, George is really—it's—it's more internal for him. He—I think he's trying to, trying to do things to to prove to Sherry that he's something. Right. And that something is to provide lots of money. Yep. So his motivation isn't just—it's not really money, but it's—it's it's the ability to to get her respect and love, right? Yeah. At least in his mind. So I think that one works as well. The cop one is easy because he's in debt to a loan shark and and needs to get out of it. There you it's, go.
1: That's his motivation. I, I was sitting there trying to think of his motivation. Yeah, because at the beginning, remember he's yeah. talking,
0: so he's he's trying to get out of it. And then who are we missing? We got, um, and the financier, his motivation to me was unclear. Although I will say this, and this is not, I'm not trying to create any kind of hot takes or stretches. I, if it, I was trying to figure out what his motivation was, the, the financier, the guy that, uh, that fronts them the cash. And is it just cause he likes Johnny it kind of felt that way. It felt a little shoehorned
1: in there. Although it it was a genuine moment when he's like, you know, you're kind of like my son, like it felt real, but it did. It, it, it I think it was probably trying to force a little bit of motivation in there.
0: And I, I, I uh, that scene was actually awkward to me.
1: It the, was. The, it, the, the was. Exchange,
0: um, they're talking about marriage I don't know what – I didn't get the context of the of the dialogue. Uh,
1: unless he was trying to – I don't know. I don't. I honestly don't know.
0: I want to know if the financier had the hots for Johnny. That's basically it, what I'm It
1: felt saying. a little kind of romantic.
0: At Like okay. it did. I, I'm not up in the night there. I actually thought no. there was some kind of thing for him. Maybe. I'm right, guessing.
1: Right. I think the marriage talk was m- more about Johnny and his fiancée. About his
0: fiance. Yeah. Right, right. But, but he – he cares for him in whatever way it is. He has a, a uh, he's got a heart for Johnny. Mm-hmm. And so he's fronting him the money cause he likes him. <clears throat> and I guess he just doesn't give a shit about criminality. He's like, I got cash. I'll just give it to you.
1: I guess so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, uh, so then Johnny's motivation, see, this is where we were talking about before. I think Johnny's motivation's purely in the fact that he's going to step away from the game because he's going to marry and he wants a lump sum of cash to step away with.
1: Yeah. And I I think the reason why I'm asking if if he's really going to step away is, is the way that, and I, I think this may be, again, a product, a product of its time, but the way that he speaks to his fiance, I guess maybe that's how men spoke to women back then, but it just feels like they're just, he's just feeding her lines. You know, he
0: he could be, I can see that for sure. But then
1: again, I'm thinking, you know, I, I wasn't alive in 1956. Maybe that's just how people talked. But I mean, even the, even his fiance, when she's talking about how she's ugly and no one will want her and, and it just felt, it felt a little, I don't know, just creepy. It just felt like maybe she, maybe he's kind of keeping her in her place.
0: No, that, that could be it. And that's, that's, that's fair. I mean, I don't know that he really, I I don't know that, that Johnny really loves her,
1: Yeah, but I think
0: he's using it as his own way to kind of push himself. This is what I'm thinking. This is my thing. And, and it is, he's pushing, he's using it as a way for him to, to find a motivation to step outside of the criminal life, and so that's yeah. what he's doing. Even though if he doesn't love her, he'll do that because that that it gives him some kind of purpose outside of that. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, okay, so we we get to this point. We're at the racetrack. There's a distraction with the wrestler. Hilarious scene. Bear, I call him the bear wrestler. I like that uh, hairy man just going around. Yeah, Johnny gets in uh, via George to the back. By the way. Once Johnny gets in and he dresses up, love the clown mask.
1: Yeah, that was great.
0: I swear every heist movie from here on out stole that concept. I know that every heist movie has different types of masks, but the concept of something creepy and cool as a face cover is now basically tradition in heist films.
1: It's standard. You got to have it.
0: And how can you watch that scene and not go that that's a, that's an awesome face mask for, for Dude, a it really there.
1: is. It really, I mean, especially cause
0: it's kind of old timey. I, I just, I love it. So creepy. It's uh it's great. He gets in basically gets the money, gets the cash. Uh, there's a separation. They still get away. scot free. The only person who doesn't get away scot free from the racetrack is the shooter they hired to shoot the horse
1: and and the 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 bear wrestler.
0: the bear wrestler, that's right. the two day players. right. Sorry. The two day players do not get out alive um, or for scot- free. Um, that scene with the sharpshooter is interesting to me. I okay, I see the karma in it. Uh, he gets into the parking lot behind the racetrack. He's three hundred yards away, or whatever the the distance is, and he's going to take out one of the horses as they round the turn. Uh, he gets his rifle out first off. He has an inner inner. Uh, he has an exchange with uh, with an African American fellow, um, and then he gets in, and the African American fellow comes up, and they have an, an exchange. He throws out some heavy words, dude. He and, dropped a uh,
1: hard R.
0: Some, he, in he the n-word some, like yeah i'm glad he's dead man he 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 yeah heavy heavy language uh very even offensive. back then i but, i don't
1: like that's just that's inexcusable the the horseshoe but, though what's that the horseshoe that was my favorite part of this scene
0: yeah that's the karma of it um i didn't understand it though in this in the context i under like what is the horseshoes for it was literally for good luck which I guess it's an emblem of good luck, but I'm not sure why.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't understand that either. But I just love that the, the parking attendant, the African-American guy, uh, brought it to him because they you know, they were nice. They were friendly before. And then it comes time to do the job and the shooter's got to get, he's got to kind of shoo the guy away. So he, he drops the N-word. Um, but the parking attendant came over to give him the horseshoe to, to bring him luck because he told him he was going to be betting on, on a horse. He said, yeah. here, this is for luck. And after he... he drops that word <laughs> i i love this man The guy walks away throws the horseshoe on the ground pops his tire when he's trying to when he's trying to escape love yeah it.
0: because seconds later the horse comes around he pulls his rifle out he goes to shoot the horse somehow the the racetrack police find out where he is they come up through the parking lot he's trying to uh tell it a uh, high tell it out of there and uh hits the horseshoe pops his tire and as a result gets shot and dies
1: love it that is good luck Karma. Karma. Horseshoe man.
0: karma. Horseshoe
1: karma immediately. Especially, you know, killed by a horseshoe after he just killed a horse.
0: Yeah. That's another part great. of the irony. I love it. So he dies. Tell us what happens with Bear Man, Bear Wrestler. Bear Man, I mean, he's
1: just wrecking dudes in the bar, just like <laughs> he's, he's <laughs> he, a thrasher. Dude, he, is he is a thrasher. Thrashing everyone. <laughs> and it's it's so comical. And I don't think it's meant to be, but it's comical in the best way. Like it's so fun. Um finally the the cops are able to kind of overwhelm him and they rush him out of the bar. Rush him out of the track. So he's gone.
0: He's gone. So the two day players do not get away scot free. Um everybody else meets at the safe house. Johnny goes back to this hotel or this motel where uh the police officer dropped all the cash off, picks up the cash. What I didn't understand, and I think I just it could be late and maybe I just missing it in my brain right now. Once Johnny goes and gets the cash, what prevented him from going back to the safe house? Wait so here's,
1: here's what happens. He does go back to the safe house.
0: Now I'm getting tired and sloppy.
1: No, you're good. So because of all the commotion and all of that, there is, uh, there's a lot of traffic outside of the track. This is all told in voiceover.
0: So that's John- right. That's what, that's what, okay. Keep going. Cause I have a question for you.
1: Yeah. So, so Johnny's running 15 minutes behind. So everyone, the rest of the crew is all at the safe house. And of course, George is, is freaking out. You know, he's like, there's always a time frame, except for when he, it's time to get paid. You know, where's he at? Where's he at? It's 7.15. He's supposed to be here at seven. Uh, Val steps in. And I guess Val just got sick of waiting because he said, I've been in the car since four o'clock listening to that radio. Where's Johnny? When's he showing up? Um, And I, I love this part, man, because this is where George grows a spine. Because you really think he's just a timid, uh, scared, kind of pussycat guy who, who would never hurt anybody. But Val steps in, and it, I can't remember what Val says. He says, where's, where's the guy? Where's George? And George comes out and just freaking shoots him, man. Like just shoots him. So then Val, I guess while he's dying, or maybe it's his buddy, I don't know, unloads on everybody in the room. <laughs> It goes straight
0: Quentin Tarantino.
1: It really does, man. Like it for 1956. This seems pretty excessively violent. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah,
0: one thing I no, I I think so. In terms of uh, uh, obviously, I mean that's the title of the film too. It's like, right. What I hated about it is that, and and maybe it's because we're so desensitized now, and we 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 don't get if we don't get that Tarantino esque killing. It's it doesn't seem as believable almost like when he fall, he like Val falls and either him or his partner, like you said, spray the bullets. And then all of a sudden it's just a quick cut and everyone's lying on the floor. Except for George, who except for George, who gets sprayed by some. Does he have a bullet wound in his cheek? I think it's a shotgun with. Uh, OK, because I was the, like,
1: dude. He got shot in the th- face and he's still standing.
0: I think it's the spread of the shotgun. Okay. So he's got like BBs in his face. Okay.
1: That makes, that makes more sense then. Cause I was like, dude, that's not only does he, does he live through it? Not only is he standing, he drives afterwards. He goes home and it's crazy. So that makes more sense.
0: But then and Johnny he gets such vindication.
1: Yeah. Oh man. Does he ever? It's awesome. Uh, <laughs> but Johnny, uh, Johnny pulls up right as George is bailing from the safe house. So everyone's dead. Val's dead. Val's homie who came in with the gun is dead. Our whole crew is dead. And George is the lone survivor. He runs out. And it it also says in voiceover that they they had made a pact that if anything happens, whoever's got the money, just bail. Don't worry about the other guys.
0: This is why I think I was getting sloppy because... I wasn't listening to all the voiceover all the time. And I wanted to ask you about how you felt about the narration.
1: I, You know what? I kind of liked it. It felt, it felt like I was watching an episode of dragnet or something now. That's the only oh, thing. For sure. Like it, it felt like a, an old time TV show and, and less like a movie, but there's something about that. Uh, I don't know the quality, just the, the, <clears throat> the diction of those old, those old radio announcers and there's something about it that's really kind of striking and powerful. And I, I liked it. I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. I think in this case it's needed. I'm not usually a huge fan of narration or I'm very picky about it, you know, like, uh, and I think this, in this case, it's, I liked it. It's needed because it also fills those gaps in, in the sense that they're trying to stretch a movie out. So it gives you those little pieces of information which I seemingly forgot over the last ten minutes,
1: and I wonder if this was if that was added later on, like in post, because I know this movie was recut a couple times because it was so confusing, and I wonder if they added that and maybe not, but to me, it just seems like it's a perfect fix,
0: yeah, you have a couple you have extra shots of exteriors or Johnny walking around and then you hear v o to cover those right yeah it could right. it could have been but but you're thanks for the clarification it gets us to where we need to go which is johnny bounces and george runs back he he's going back to the house
1: immediately
0: immediately and he goes in and sherry's packing her bag she thinks she's going with val and and she i
1: mean this is just like such classic movie mess up like she hears someone come through the door and she assumes it's val so she says val honey I'm back here in the bedroom, you know, like not even playing it down just in case it's George, just in case he got away or something, you know, just uh, like just totally playing her cards wrong. And you remember earlier, George straight up said, he's like, dude, if I ever caught you with another man, I couldn't handle it. And uh, that's exactly what happened. And he comes home to confront good old Sherry.
0: This is is my uh, (laughs) this is my favorite scene of the whole movie.
1: Same. I, it's great, especially with the bird, uh, the bird yes, cage. The I don't I don't know what that's there for, but I like that it's there. Aesthetically, it, I really enjoyed it. But he confronts her, and she tries to deny it at first, but then she just kind of comes clean and says, well, you better get out of here because Val's coming. He, he'll be here any minute.
0: <laughs> and George says, I got a surprise for you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't say that. I'm just kidding. Yeah, but-
1: he's laid out on the floor of the safe house. And, uh, and knowing George, knowing how much he loves Sherry, you're thinking, you know, he, he's probably gonna, he, I didn't think he was going to kill her even though he had the gun. Like I still thought like he is so devoted to her. Something's going to happen. I don't know what, uh, he'll, she'll kill him. I honestly thought she was going to kill him, but, uh, she, he ends up, I mean, just kind of unprovoked. She doesn't charge him or anything. He just does it, man. He gets his revenge. And then he falls yeah, d- I,
0: flat. I kind of did think he was going to kill her only because he was kind of acting delirious. Like his acting changed and he started getting real spooky because up to that point, he's been real kind of innocent. And the way he p- delivers the performance, he starts getting spooky. Like he's like, he's delirious. He's lost his damn mind.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love it, man. And and he, he kills her and then he falls flat dead.
0: And that, that brings us to uh, back to Johnny, who's kind of one thing we've wanted to mention was that he's gone to the airport. He's all checked in. He's got everything. He's now got the suitcase full of money and he's going to bounce. He's going to leave town uh, via uh, airplane uh, uh, with it, with his fiance.
1: I want to say one thing. Uh, when When they're in the airport and that lady is talking to her dog like it's a baby, anyone who does that, I don't do that. Don't do that. People like it was the most obnoxious thing I've ever heard in my life.
0: I put in my notes. So Johnny's and his fiance are going to get on the plane. He has to check his bag. Originally he thought he was going to be able to do carry on with it. He has to check the bag that hold, has all the money in it. And to get to your point, and I put this in my notes, a dog foils the whole plan. <laughs> The entire
1: thing, man. The entire thing.
0: Because the, total the, Jetway, the Jetway luggage guy's pulling the luggage around. The lady's dog gets out of her hands and starts chasing after him, causing him to swerve. And as he swerves, Johnny's backpack or backpacks. Johnny's suitcase falls out and money flies everywhere.
1: I loved this ending so much. Like I freaking loved it. It was so good just to see. Cause you just feel that devastation. You know, like, it's just, oh God, just imagine that, like your life savings, imagine your life savings, you have it in a bag and it just is gone just like that. And you watch it happen would be the most devastating thing ever.
0: I, this is another reason. So with the exception of those service animals that are needed, you know, because there are ones that are needed, but I feel like everybody now can bring animals on planes
1: and, and look, I like animals as much as the next guy, but I'm allergic to most animals. And I remember one time I was, I was flying back East for work and I had like a layover there and a layover back when it was coming back home. And on every single leg of that trip, I sat next to some sort of animal that, yeah. and I was just deathly allergic and it killed me. And it was like a, a five hour flight both the way. It was just horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so let let's just leave the animals at home, please.
0: Let's let's leave them at home, and then they foil Johnny's plan. So thanks a yeah, lot, dog. Exactly. Johnny can't live alone with his fiance and never be in the game again. Now he's gonna go to jail. Yeah, exactly.
1: How did you feel though? Like looking from a a, a post nine eleven viewpoint, how did, how it felt a little weird to me that they're like, yeah, just go out on the the
0: runway. Oh yeah, I mean that. I mean that was that was era driven right that's just how right it, was. it
1: just i almost forgot that that was a thing that we could used to be able to go to the gate and before that you could go to the the actual runway i just yeah. i didn't i forgot all about that
0: unless you're flying a regional flight and even then usually they have a catwalk but right sometimes you're on the tarmac walking over to a little right three seater or whatever it is but no maybe. one
1: is is waiting for the plane to unload on the run you know like it's just it's just weird i just forgot
0: and so i liked how it ended too at the very end where johnny's like i'm out of here and he takes him and his fiance and goes goes by the the check-in and just starts trying to walk out of the the airport and then he turns around because he gets the idea he gets the feeling and he's he's right the authorities have found out whose bag it was and they're following after him and all it does is you have cops coming, pulling out guns. Yeah. They're, they're pulling out their guns. I mean, very timely and scary in a sense. And then it just says the end.
1: Well, and it was a little, there's a one little thing that I, I felt was a little out of character because his fiance says, Johnny, you got to run. And he goes, oh, what's the point? Or some, something along those lines. Yeah, like, he
0: does say that. It
1: didn't yeah. feel, it doesn't feel like that's something he would do.
0: Yeah, I, I was, You almost would have thought that he, it would have gone that that bad direction. And right. He would have tried to fight it, and then it would have ended that that way. Right. You know. Right. But it does. That's where the credit comes up. Says the end, and there you have the killing, uh, a 1956 heist movie by Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. I, the. Uh, do you consider this a film noir? Yeah, I'll, read you, I'll, read, yeah, okay. I'll yeah. read you the definition, film noir. Stylish crime dramas, particularly those that emphasize cynical attitudes and sexual motivations.
1: Yeah, I, I think it would be. I kind of, I don't know why, I kind of struggle with noir. Uh, I love the aesthetic, but there's, there's something in, in all the noir films I've seen, I just feel like there's something lacking in the story. And I can't, I don't, and I know I'm in the minority here, and I couldn't, I can't put my finger on it, but there's just something about it that's unsatisfying to me. But this one, actually, I, I really enjoy.
0: Yeah, I think it fits into the category, obviously, like you said. I also think for other two other reasons that really stood out for me. One, of course, the narration that seems to be a pretty uh, uh, stalwart in the noir genre. The other one that I didn't love, I didn't love is the high strings of orchestral music and it felt very hitchcockian.
1: Yeah, I know you're not a big fan of, of those high strings. I I love it, man. I dig it.
0: It just seems I the fa- my favorite part is when Johnny breaks into to uh, stand him up with the the gun to get the money. And leading up to that, you hear all the high strings. And then as soon as he breaks the door down, it just comes to an abrupt halt. Yeah. That was my favorite part because the string stopped.
1: Oh, see, for me, I was like, (laughs) yeah, I get it. Uh, I I don't know, man. I liked it. I I think it could have been accentuated a little bit because I did feel like the robbery part dragged on a little bit, which is weird to say, but it really did.
0: No, I think, I think there's a good number of sequences inside this film that drag on yeah. particularly long, for sure. Um, any controversial social commentary in this? I, f- I say that because as we talk about Kubrick, that seems to be a pretty, uh, pretty, pretty standard issue um, message or idea, like social commentary. I don't see it a lot in this one. Or I, as don't much.
1: I don't either. I don't either. I can't, I can't think of anything.
0: Was you think of full metal jacket last week? Obviously a lot of social commentary going on. We'll jump into strange love next episode. That's obviously social commentary going on. And from that point, Lolita t- social commentary, but this one, not a whole lot. It's more of a traditional film noir from the fifties.
1: Yeah. It, it, it's fun. Like, I think I would put this above most film noir that I've seen. Like, I don't know, like Double Indemnity, Maltese Falcon, even Chinatown. They're great movies and I want to love them, but there's just something, like I said, there's something I can't put my finger on that doesn't connect with me in these stories. And this one, it, it, it hit all the notes for me.
0: Yeah. It's a, I think it's a good movie. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, and I think you could put it in, in class with those, uh, with those other types of noirs for sure. Yeah. Um all right, so let's let's do a quick run through here. Here's here's Alan's favorite part. We're going to run some reviews here. These audience reviews I have not seen uh, read. I have not pre uh, pre read these, so I don't know. It was extremely well acted. Had an incredible storyline! Exclamation point!
1: Really got to drive that home.
0: I highly recommend this dark noir movie. Well, first off, noir means dark. So <laughs>
1: redundant. It's like saying ATM machine.
0: Five out of five, though. Okay, it's a little. So okay.
1: I, I do want to ask you a question. I, I actually penned this down. Oh to, yeah, to go for it. About the acting. Um, I thought the acting was good, for sure. What did you I, viewing this movie with all the like the gangster lingo from the fifties? How did how
0: did you feel about that? See, this is where I think you and I differ in our noir attraction. Because I love noir. Mm-hmm. So, and you mentioned all the ones I love. I love Double Indemnity. Maltese is up there for sure. And for me, Chinatown is the epitome. Sure. I know it came later in the classical sense of what we think noir to be that 40s, 50s type film, right? But it's, it's, it's like neo-noir, right? Right. Chinatown. So I don't mind it because it kind of creates like an environment and atmosphere that's far different than normal speech and talk. And so if you can get past the, the logical, for me at least, when you get past the do people really talk like that and the reality is no. It's a right. bit far-fetched. Right. But I like it in that for me, in this case, I can actually forgive it as a movie. And it puts me in an environment that makes it kind of fun. And I like that over the top. It's the same thing that you feel for narration.
1: Yeah, I, you I say can say that. that.
0: Narr- narrations like it gives you that aesthetic and that diction and that f- the different kind of delivery. And I was OK with how they deliver.
1: Yeah, I, I like the snappy dialogue. I like the witty banter. I like that kind of stuff. And I like how fast it is. I, there's just some things like these are gangsters, right? These are like hardened criminals. Yeah. They've done bad things. And some of the stuff I hear, I just, I it's hard for me to imagine a time when anyone would hear some of the things they say and be like, Oh, that's a scary dude.
0: Yeah. I think you run into, and I agree with you, uh, because definitely the corrupt cop is going to have a lot of foul language. Yeah. George to be the only one who's kind of quote unquote innocent with that silly silly kind of dialogue um but but i think that you have censorship limitations because oh, you're for in sure the, for so sure. you don't have the ability like you would today to recreate the dialogue for the characters to be more authentic you know what i mean for sure oh I totally agree I just some of the things like even even
1: some of the fashion like johnny with his short tie and his pants like <laughs> hiked way up it's just some i mean you look back and you're like Wow. I they, like those floods. You don't like we, those floods. We really, we really, we really were, were into that, huh? Back then. Crazy.
0: No, that's a good question, but that's kind of where I sit on it. I do have a, a an affinity for film noir. I enjoy it.
1: And again, I do too. I love the aesthetic. There's just, it's just something about the story. I don't know if it's, it's too, I don't know. I don't know what it is.
0: I mean, I'll- they're, they're, they're overly, at least in a uh, traditional structure of what we think noir to be. I mean, they're predictable.
1: They're very predictable. I almost wonder, I'm trying to think back where I kind of lose it. Because I'll get into a, a, a noir and I'll I'll really enjoy it. But at some point it loses me. And it's just the story. And I wonder if it's because they're not, they're not always wrapped up in a nice, tight little package. You know, like there's there's always something that's unsatisfying about the ending. And when they're kind of presented as a mystery... Or as an excitement, like I kind of want that. And I think that might be where I get lost.
0: No, I, I agree. And that's actually, I think, because I'm so sinister, as you know. <laughs> that's um, true. <laughs> no, uh, but I, I actually, that's why one thing I like about noir is that we don't usually wrap it up in a bow. It's always kind of like, even this is not in a bow. I mean, the likelihood is that Johnny's going to get shot by the cops.
1: Right, right.
0: And it's all just going to end in a complete tragedy and no one's going to win, at least in terms of the characters but for
1: some reason this one I was fine with it. I don't know why. I can I yeah. can't explain it. I don't know what it is. I and it might be the whole mystery aspect cuz you think of Chinatown and and Double Indemnity and all those other ones they're kind of more of like a mystery. And so you kind of at least for me uh I I really want it to be wrapped up and and it doesn't have to be be a happy ending, but I really want I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I
0: mean you get a clear ending in Chinatown. I mean, true. It's it's resolute in the mystery right. and the shock. Right, right. Right. And and so this, you don't, you don't get that. And in a lot of others, like I I see what you're saying. Um, But I like film noir. I like film noir. Um, I I, like you said, I like the look and the cinematography and and the aesthetic of it too. Which by the way, if you look at how black and whites film, like this is a good with the except like this is good black and white film shooting. So Kubrick, once again, you know, you have contrast, you have lights and darks and, Uh, hell of a photographer.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, he started out in photography, right? So he knows what he's doing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But it looks good. Okay. A couple more reviews. You ready? I'm ready. Good movie. Entertaining. And with realistic characters, four out of five stars.
1: Good movie. What was the second one?
0: Entertaining. Entertaining. And with realistic characters. I don't know why you needed the comma there. (laughs)
1: It's an Oxford comma uh no i I disagree with the last one
0: with realistic characters yeah, i
1: don't I'm not buying that these are real realistic characters.
0: here we go, one year ago, one of the few films from Kubrick that just does not work for me. the ending ruins it. oh man, I love it one person found it helpful. <laughs> two now that you just said that
1: no i i i no i mean i love the ending i don't know what he's talking about to me oh yeah johnny got all you just
0: said you did and i was like wait a minute i thought you liked
1: the ending no johnny got all those people killed so him getting some karma some comeuppance i'm all for it
0: yeah okay one year ago (laughs) one word masterpiece Ooh.
1: I don't know if I'd go that far. Would you go that far?
0: No. Yeah. Um, a few a few lines down from that review. One word. Interesting.
1: <laughs> that. I mean, Mark, that is helpful. That is that is
0: <laughs> that is a dagger to filmmakers, by the way. I think if I made a movie and they're like, interesting. Oh,
1: dude. Yeah, that's that you never want to hear someone say that when they just watched your film. No. Your heart just sinks. I've had it happen. It's terrible.
0: Here's one for you. Two feet. Two people found this helpful. Too predictable. Not for me. Silly ending.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Your inflection when you read these—that's what really sells these.
0: And that's really all you get. There's, there's only a few in there. At least when I scroll through. So
1: I'm not surprised though. It's, it's not uh, one of his most famous films.
0: I do have to read this one though. Um, I, I saw this film about 20 years ago and I think I cherish it now more than ever. Ooh. I, I can see that. Thanks, Alan, from one month ago. <laughs> so so there's a, a couple Google reviews. So Alan, give not, that was Alan, by the way, on the review, not you. Yeah, Alan, not me. Of course. Yeah. So now give us your review. Alan a summation and review of the killing by Stanley Kubrick. It's, it's good,
1: man. It's, it's a good movie. If it's not going to be for everyone, I know a lot of people struggle with older movies, but if you are into noir, I highly recommend it. Um, if you're into old movies, I highly recommend it. It's, it's no masterpiece, but it's interesting enough. It drags on at times. Like we discussed, it's got some plot holes as we discussed, but it's fun, man. It, it's a fun movie. It's, it's, I enjoyed it as much for the getting a a a glimpse into the past as I did for the actual movie itself. So that's carrying a lot of weight for my review. Um I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it hmm, six point nine horseshoes.
0: Ooh. I like it. Six point nine. Not bad. Not bad at all. Yeah, so uh I do have a couple pieces of trivia, which I forgot to mention. I just had a couple. That's all. Um, the first piece of trivia is is actually, it's more really of a quote, um, which I found kind of amusing. Uh, one by Stanley Kubrick, one by James Harris. James Harris was the producer. He said, I gave Stanley a free hand to create, and he leaves the money problems to me. <laughs> That's the best producer yep. you could ever ask for as a director. No,
1: I, I agree. Uh, Steven Spielberg could learn a thing or two.
0: Now here, yeah, thanks a lot, <laughs> says Toby Hooper. <laughs> okay, so here's an interesting one. I want to see how you think about it. this. Was a quote from Kubrick. He said about working with Harris and about this film in particular, and I want to see how you think about it pertaining to his future films. We want to make good movies and make them cheap. The two are not incompatible. That's good. I think they achieve that. No, that's, that's kind of how I would sum this movie up is it is kind of cheaply made in what you would think the Kubrick library to contain. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with that. And that is a producer's dream right there
0: absolutely a make good movies that. and that's how i would kind of sum it up yeah is that it's a good movie um is it in is it a masterpiece like google user 448 said <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's not is it more than interesting yes it's fun it's engaging i'll watch it uh, again uh, i enjoyed it one thing that stands out to me that in my summary is that I, and if i did my Uh, math right i could be wrong uh kubrick's still in his 20s 20 something years old makes this film right um and that to me like again it's the steven soderbergh with sex lies and videotape the maturity to write things at 25 26 years old and then go actually execute it seems easy on the surface but it's it's not easy it's Difficult.
1: difficult very difficult
0: um, so in that regard, and only being really his third, I think it's his third feature film. Yeah, um, I I enjoy the I enjoy it, and and so I would uh, I would I would definitely recommend it. Um, I think. Uh, Overall, it's a fun watch. Uh, It's not the rewatchability of other Kubrick films for me. Uh, I can watch Clockwork Orange over and over. I can usually watch 2001 over and over. And so there's a handful of films that I can watch, uh, you know, repeatedly. You know, this doesn't fall into that. I thought the acting was good. I loved Sterling Hayden. Played, uh, who played Johnny Clay. I thought he was great. He's going to lead into another podcast on Dr. Strangelove because he makes another appearance. Kubrick obviously liked him because he brings him back. Uh, and I thought he was great. Real quick, before I jump into mine, we got to do IMDb. IMDb had 8.0 uh, uh, oh, 8. out of 10. That's and good. Rotten Tomatoes had... 98% from the critics. Wow. Wow. And 92% from the audience.
1: I wonder That's, those critics, if if they're going that high, if it's not Stanley Kubrick.
0: Well, unless it's changed as of recently, this is the highest rated Rotten Tomatoes Stanley Kubrick film. You're kidding me. I'll double check for next podcast so don't That's quote me on crazy. this one. Crazy. But off the top of my head is the highest rated critics reviewed Rotten Tomatoes film by Stanley Kubrick.
1: That's insane. It might be just because it's there probably are a lot less of them I would imagine. And it's not real. I mean, you look at 2001, it's uh it's not controversial but it's it it's ambiguous <laughs> to say the least. So I can see how that would rub some critics the wrong way i don't know man i
0: so very highly rated uh yet not as well known uh as as was evident in our review portion so uh reading the reviews so i'm gonna come in uh crook johnny clay assembles a five-man team to plan and execute a daring racetrack robbery the killing by stanley kubrick okay so i will come in with 7.7 Harry bear wrestlers.
1: That's good, man. That's really good. So as far as, and I'm not going to make you, I think I may have even asked you this last time. I'm not going to make you rate all your Kubrick films, but where on the list would you put this just relatively?
0: I'm going to, I am going to do that because I think I can rate them. Like if I really sit down and put in the time, I think I can rate them when it comes to this one um you know it's got to be without giving it assigning it a true number as of right now it's got to be in the middle to end
1: okay so because
0: everything uh, after spartacus to me is going to be in the tops
1: okay oh yeah obviously that's a that's a whole other
0: level so because because i can look i mean so you right after spartacus from lolita forward in some arrangement is going to be my ranking and then everything after that will fall in. I like this better than Spartacus.
1: Yeah, I I do too, for sure.
0: So it's middle to end and I haven't seen um, Killer's Kiss. So, and that's one right before this, I believe. So that's the only Kubrick film I haven't seen.
1: Okay. Do you have a least favorite?
0: Um... I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to assign a least favorite. Yeah. To be honest, <laughs> now I'm going to be all strange about it.
1: Getting all cagey. <laughs> I don't want to assign a least favorite.
0: <laughs> That's kind of where I sit on it. This is the Killing, 1956, Stanley Kubrick, his third feature film installment, starring Sterling Hayden as Johnny Clay, and this is Gabe and Alan. Until next time, go check us out at TameAperture.com and uh, look at our previous episodes. Also give us suggestions on future episodes. This is our second installment Into the Mind of Mr. Kubrick. Gabe and Alan with the Tame Aperture Podcast signing out. The Tame Aperture Podcast is produced by Dutch Angle Pictures in association with Studio B Productions. Listen, watch, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and YouTube.